Amen. Amen. He called my name and I came out of that grave. Can anybody testify? October 30, 1984 is when I came out of my grave, my grave of a fallen nature, my grave of sin, and came out and was resurrected in Christ, into Christ, with Christ, serving for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we do when we gather together as one. We come to be one and we are sent as one, as one individually, as one collectively with the Lord Jesus Christ, where there is a beautiful thing that happens when we gather in the house of God. This morning, I want to encourage you to do something. Our pastor, Jay, has encouraged all of us uh, at at the Brentwood Baptist Church, all of our membership, all 12,000 of us, to walk a journey together in 2024. From day one, we will walk through the whole Bible together. So when you came in, there was a table that had a lot of Bibles. It's a chronological Bible. So it takes you through the Bible and through the series that we'll be preaching all year long from January all the way to the end, to the end to December. And so we'll start in Genesis, end in Revelation. And what we would love to see is all of our church members walking that journey with us. The whole body in the whole Bible throughout the whole year. The whole body in the whole Bible throughout the whole year. Wouldn't that be awesome? So when we come in every Sunday, you would have already been in the passages that we'll be preaching from. God will speak already to you in your secret place and your quiet time with Him. You come in here, we share the revelations of the Lord from the Word of God. We get edified and lifted up together. And then you also get a chance to lead your family and your neighbors also with you. So let me, let me encourage you, when you leave today, go right to that table. They're selling these Bibles for $15. They're $50 Bibles, but they're making them available for our church membership for $15. Buy one, two, three. Give it to others. Encourage them to walk that journey with you. Save some. Give it out at Christmas time. It'll be a fantastic opportunity for us to be in unison, in common purpose, common mission, through the common Word of God, so we could experience it together and grow in the body of Christ together. Amen? So get your copy. The digital copy will be made available soon. We'll announce that to you. That's what the Chronological Bible is all about. I also brought my Bible. <laughs> so, uh, so did you bring your Bibles with you to the house of God? Can I see your Bibles if you brought it together with you? Praise the Lord. We're coming here to the house of the Lord to experience Him and to hear Him. Amen? To experience Him and to hear Him. This morning, we'll be addressing the topic of gathering as one. Why does the body of Christ gather? Now, we've been in a series on uh, describing the vision of the Lord for all of humanity, for all nations, tribes, tongues, and language, describing God's vision for all of us as nations. Did you know that we are God's inheritance? One day, we'll be given as a reward of the suffering of Christ because you said yes and you were saved. We've already looked at the meaning of our salvation. We're saved in Christ. We are seated in Christ, resurrected with Christ, sent by Christ. And then we've already looked at the story of our salvation. Not only we are, we are saved and we understand our salvation, now we looked at the story last Sunday of our salvation. The story of our salvation is to go forward. It's to be told. And we've talked about that last Sunday morning. So you and I are saved we're called and sent out. And today, we're going to talk about why we gather. We gather because of our salvation. Amen? We gather because of our salvation. I'm going to ask you to stand just one more time. I'm going to read two passages, one from Colossians chapter 3. 
And the other one, I'm going to take you back to the Old Testament. And I'm going to take you to Genesis chapter 28. Simply because I want you to see the picture of what God desires and designed for the nations from the beginning all the way to the end. So I'm in Colossians chapter 3. If you're there, begin verse 12. If you're there, say, I'm there. Amen. And listen to verse 12 and following. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, I love that. That word peace means, it, it's, it's a reference to an empire that rules. Let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in, our, in your hearts. And whatever you do in word and in deed, do, it, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now go with me to Genesis chapter 28. Keep your mark at Colossians chapter 3. And let's look at Genesis chapter 28, which will begin here through the sermon and then come back to Colossians. But I'll begin in verse 10. Now, many a times, scriptures that are mentioned in the Old Testament it serves as reference to what Christ gave us in the New Testament. So this is very important. I want you to see what God has done for his people then, what he's doing now, what he'll do for the generations to come. So listen to Genesis 28 and verse 10. This is an encounter between Jacob and God, talking about the house of God. While we gather, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He reached a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. He took one of the stones from the place, put it there at his head. Now, we all know that Jesus is the cornerstone of the bride of Christ, right? And lay down in that place. And he dreamed a stairway or a ladder was set on the ground with its top reaching the sky. And God's angels were going up and down on it. The Lord was standing there beside him saying, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. And I'll give you and your offspring the land on which you are lying. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out toward the west, the east, the north, and the south. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Look, I am with you and will watch over you. And wherever you go, I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Glory to God. Verse 16. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. Can I get an amen? And I did not know it. He was afraid and said, What an awesome place this is. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that was near his head and set it up as a marker. That means he built an altar there. 
Uh, he poured oil on top of it. Now, speaking of the coming of the Holy Spirit, and named the place Bethel, which means the house of God, though previously was the city called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, if God will be with me and watch over me during this journey I'm making, if he provides me with food to eat and clothing to wear, and if I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. This stone that I have set up as a marker will be God's house, and I will give to you a tenth of all that you give me. Oh God, that you would take these words, that you've impressed them. By inspiration on the heart of Jacob. Lord, impress them on our hearts. Oh, that you would take the words of the Colossians. And you've guided the church with Lord and impress it on our spirit. And let it translate into our testimony. That where people can see us and hear us. They will know that we've come out of the house of God. To give witness to the glory of God in Jesus' name. Somebody says... Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you. Keep your Bibles open in Genesis chapter 28. I want to show you a few things. And then mark it at Colossians chapter 3. I want to show you a few things just as well. We asked the question this morning, why do we gather on Sunday morning? I mean, what happens when the people of God gather? What is, you asked the question, what is church? What does God expect when we come to church? Let me ask you another question. What do you expect? When you come to the house of the Lord, when you come to church, when we talk about church, now we could have church anywhere, everywhere. I, I often have church in the car. My God and I get together and we have church. <laughs> we have a great time. You could have church with the Lord, you and God. You could have church here as you gather in the house of the Lord. This is the church. The gathering of the believers that are saved, that have come together. This is the house of God. This is church. This is also the house of God. This is the house of God. I've got that. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. I've got God in me. This is also the house of God. This is the house of God. This is the house of God. So when we gather with our God who saved us, changed us, transformed us, what happened when we gather? Why do we gather in the house of God? I love what Jacob said in chapter 28. He called it Bethel. Uh, the house of God. Bait, it's a, it's a compound word. Beth, El, Beit or Beth. It's a Hebrew word, means house. And then the E-L is a reference to Elohim, which means God. It's the house of God. When we say Bethlehem, we're talking about the house of bread. The house of bread. So it's compounded. Bethel, the house of God. And, uh, and then so he, we see here a picture image of what's forthcoming as God initiated the work of the church in the book of Acts chapter 2. The house of God. And notice that it was central. He said in Genesis chapter 28 that Bethel was central. There was, it was sitting in a crossroad between the north and the south, the east and the west. That's what the church ought to be about. The church ought to be the central place of any community. Out of the church ought to come the light of God, the word of God, the ministry of God. We ought to be central in every community. We're not to disappear. We're to be that, that beacon that shines so people can have help. And they can have hope. But what happens when we gather? I want to give you three things that will teach you now what happens when we gather. When you gather with God and when we all gather with God. First of all, when we gather as the body of Christ, as one, we ought to, number one, experience the presence of God. We ought to experience the 
the presence of God. Did you notice that Jacob said, this is the house of God and I did not know it, but now I do. He, he came into awareness. Hey, I am being surrounded by the presence of the Lord. I am experiencing the presence of God. See, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. The point is that, are you connecting with him? You see, the house of God is all about connection. When we come to the house of God, we come to connect with God and connect with one another. When we connect with God, something comes alive. We become aware of his presence with us, in us, and all around us. We come to experience the presence of God. Friend, let me just say this. If you come to the house of God and hear this anointed worship, truly was anointed worship this morning. If you hear the anointed worship and the songs, if you hear the word of God taught and you take some notes, if you have fellowship in the lobby and have you some donuts and coffee, but do not connect with God, you've not come to the house of God. You've not come to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We come to the house of God to experience the presence of God. Jacob was put to sleep and he had a dream. He saw the angels of God going up a ladder and coming down that ladder, that stairway. And, 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 and the Lord showed him that he was there. You see, we experience that. The, the, and Jesus becomes that ladder for us. Jesus in you becomes the stairway that connects you to the heavenlies. And Jesus in you becomes the way that answers the prayers that comes down from the heavenlies. You remember, this scripture really is a, is a, is a, is a, is a preparation for what we see given to us by the Lord himself in Luke chapter 1 and then in John chapter 1. We see it. You remember when Philip uh, experienced the Lord? He had met the Messiah that he's been searching for. He was really excited that he met Jesus. And he wanted to tell his brother. See, when you're saved, you want to tell the people that you love about your salvation. So he goes after Nathaniel, his brother. Now, Philip is a zealous man, excited for the Lord. Nathaniel was more analytical, kind of wondering. He asked a lot of questions so he could understand and Philip finds his brother and he said come meet the Messiah we found Jesus and Nathanael came hesitantly and Jesus knew that so Jesus says to Nathanael behold an Israelite in whom there is no guile in other words he's saying you're an Israelite but you're one who has this doubt within you about who the Messiah is and then Jesus said this to him he said I saw you sitting under the fig tree and because of that, Nathaniel said, truly you are the son of God. And then Jesus answers him and says, just because I said I saw you, I feel you, I know you, I know exactly what you're longing for, you say I'm the son of God, hold on. <laughs> you're going to see things happening that are absolutely glorious that will prove to you that I'm not only a Messiah, but I'm God creator. And so he said to him in, in John chapter 1 and verse 51, and listen to Jesus quoting Genesis chapter 51, chapter 28, in reference to the body of Christ. He said, truly I tell you, Jesus talking to Nathaniel, he said, truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, on the Son of Man. Here's what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, I am the ladder. I am the stairway. Everything that goes up to heaven comes through me. Everything that comes down from heaven comes through me. I'm the way, I'm the truth, 
and I am the life. And there's only one name that registers in heaven with full authority and credibility. It's the name of Jesus Christ. So we know anytime we come to meet with Jesus, every time we come to meet with Jesus, we know that we are in the house of God, surrounded by the presence of God. Why do we gather to experience the presence of God? Now the question is though, why did he call that in Genesis chapter 28? Why did he call that the house of God? Because something happened. See, Jacob was running away from Esau. He had stolen the inheritance of Esau. And on his way, running away from the tip of one side of Israel to the other tip, God intercepted him in Luz, which means really springs of water. And, and it's a place of camping. And God camped with David, with Jacob. He camped with him. And he had an encounter with him. And, and when Jacob encountered God, said, I know now. That this is the presence of God. I didn't know it then, but I know it now. You see, when you come to the house of God, something happens where you connect with God. You become aware of God. And then all of a sudden, you know you're in the presence of God. You're experiencing it of God. We don't come to the house of God to exhibit church. We come to the house of God to experience church. We come to the house of God to experience the Lord. We come to the house of God to experience the living Lord. So when the songs are leading us into worship, it's to lead us into his presence. When the word is declared, it's to remind us to be aware of his awesome presence. We come to the house of God to experience the presence of God. People often say, well, you know, Fadi, when I ask people, hey, where do you go to church? Well, I'm looking for church. I can't seem to find one. I don't know how you can't find a church. <laughs> I can't find a church. Well, why is that? Well, I, I just go there. I don't feel connected to the people or to what's happening. You know, or they may make a statement every once in a while. It's an extreme statement, but they'll make it. I, I go places and it's boring to me. Friend, there is not a boring church if God is in the house. Are y'all all right? There should never be a boring church. When God's presence is there. And it's not about what you see happening. It's about what, what happens in you. Did you come to the house of God with a surrendered heart to experience the presence of God? Did you come to make connection with Almighty God? Amen? So we come to the house of God. We gather, number one, to experience the presence of God. Number two, we gather not only to experience the presence of God, we gather to hear the voice of God. We gather to hear the voice of God. This is really beautiful. Friend, listen. Because where God is, God speaks. Can I say it again? Where God is, God speaks. But where God is and his people are, he wants them to speak to him. When you worship, you're speaking with God. When your heart is surrendered, you're speaking to God. When you are communicating, you're communicating with Almighty God. You see, we come to hear the voice of God. Where God is, God literally speaks. I love it when the Lord told Moses in Exodus 25 and verse 22. He was giving him instructions to build the tabernacle. And he said to him in verse 22, I want you to go there. There I'll meet you and I'll speak to you. 
You see, God brings us to the house of God so he can speak to us. You say, Fadi, you mean just here in the church? No, not just here in the church, in the car, everywhere. When God is ready to meet with you, he meets with you so he can speak to you. And so you can talk back and forth to Almighty God. And God will speak to you. Just We come to the house of God to hear the voice of God. How do we hear the voice of God? Let me give you four quick ways. Number one, we hear the voice of God by receiving correction. We hear the voice of God by receiving correction. Let's assume you've just learned to drive and you're just trying to figure out the road. Like when I got my driver's license and I was on my way back from Dresden to Morton, Tennessee. And I had just had, a, at that time they would give you a pink slip and then you'll get your driver's license in the mail. And so I had my big pink sheet in there and I was driving 85 and 45 in my first day. I'm just kidding. Are y'all all right? I'm just checking if you're awake. Are y'all awake? But I was really speeding and I stopped. I was stopped by, by, by a wonderful man of God. He's a, he's a cop and, uh, and, and he was giving me correction. He said, listen, I just want you to know that you are 65 and 45. And Brian, who taught me how to drive, was sitting to my right. He said, oh no, oh no. So he goes, can I see your driver's license? And I gave him my pink slip. And he just started laughing. He goes, he goes what in the world? <laughs> he said, if I take this from you, you never give a driver's license here. Slow down, son. But what happened is I was on my way, but Brian kept trying to tell me, you're going the wrong direction, Fadi. To get to Martin, you go this way and not that way. Now, was Brian's voice a negative voice? No. He was, he was being positive with me. He was trying to correct me. Was the cop is a negative voice? No. He was correcting me. And sometimes you're on your way. You're on your way to a destination, and you're, you're driving, and, and you notice, you know, this doesn't look familiar. This doesn't look right. And you stop and ask for direction, and someone said, if you want to get to that destination, turn around and go the other way. Now, you may think, well, but this is prettier. It could be. Sin can be pretty. Sin can lure you in. Some relationships can really trap you. Some decisions can really mess you up. But when God said, even though it looks pretty, turn around and go the other way. Because if you keep going this way, you never seek your destination. So God speaks through correction. You come to the house of God. Something spoken, something sung, something said. It will connect you to the word of God by way of correction. Number two, we hear the voice of God not only by correction. We hear the voice of God by direction. Sometimes we come to the house of the Lord and we are directed through a verse of scripture or through a, a council, but we hear it by direction. Let's assume I'm driving and I'm going somewhere and I need it to get from here to uh, Sevierville. I'm going to get direction. I'm going to get it through a GBS or, or somebody else will give me direction. But I want to make sure that when I start at A, I get to B. From B, I want to get to C. From C, I want to get to D. I need direction. God says, you're trying to make a major decision about your life, about where to live or where to move or where to go to school, and you need wisdom? Here it is. God says, you're trying to start a business, and you need some information, not only from the business world, but some, but some information for what I do. If I bless you with your business, here it is. God says, when you read my word, I give direction. Uh, precept by precept, word by word, I give you direction. Because I want to make sure that you're walking through the footsteps of the righteous, which is ordered by the Lord. God speaks to us through correction. He speaks through direction. He also speaks through inspiration. 
inspiration. There's a beautiful scripture I want to share with you from 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verses, seven and, uh, verses 9 and 10. Listen to what, how, it's, how it's said. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human heart has conceived. God has prepared these things for those who love him. Now God has revealed or inspired these things to us by the Spirit. Since the Spirit searches everything, even the depth of God. The Spirit of God will reveal things, inspire things. Sometimes we're corrected. Sometimes we're directed. Sometimes God just inspires us. I remember uh, before, you know, GPSs and all of that. And, and I would be going somewhere. And if I'm going long distance with my job, I'd call my buddy and I'd say, Hey, how do I get from Martin, for example, to, to Tampa, Florida? And he'll say, Well, if, are you going via 55? Yes. He'll say, Well, you got to go through uh, Florence. You got to go through here. And, and I, I write it down and I'm, and I'm driving. But somehow, someway, in the middle of my driving, I'm thinking, this doesn't look familiar. And, and Brian had already told me what the signs look like, and, but I'm not seeing any signs. And, 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 then, and then I would call him and I'd say, Brian, you know, it, it looks like I'm, I'm on the wrong track. I don't really see what you told me. And he said, where are you? And I'd tell him where I am. What mile marker? I'd tell him where I am. He said, keep going, you're on the right track. I'd say, but I'm not seeing what you think that I should see. He said, keep going, you're on the right track. And all of a sudden, after a while, because of, I've endured through this, I've persevered through this, I believe through this. God will show me a sign, and the sign inspires me and affirms me I'm on the right track. Are you with me? He speaks by inspiration. Inspiration is a sign from Almighty God. It's revelations from the Lord to affirm. He said, Father, you don't know what I'm going through. It's been a suffering season. And God says, keep going. I'm affirming you. He said, Fadi, it's been tough here lately. And I, I've, I've almost got to the place of helplessness and hopelessness. And God speaks and he says, here's a sign. I'm going to show you my love. To Jesus, he said, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then he looks at you in your situ situation. And he says, you are also my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. He speaks through his wonderful inspirations, corrections, directions, but fourthly. We hear his voice through instruction, through instruction. Sometimes we sit and God begins to just download from heaven his instructions for what he called us to do. I remember when I was in the hotel business, I knew when, God, when, when I got saved, God called me and, and I knew that I need to be in ministry, but I kept on in my business world. And I worked for Holiday Inn Hotels, and I was in the hotel business, and I would go. I went to Memphis, Nashville, Tampa. But I remember clearly the season and the time when God said, it's time. It's time for you to surrender your will to me and come and learn from me and get instructed about what I want you to do in your life. I remember that season. I remember when God said to me, I want you to go back to the place of your salvation in northwest Tennessee because where I saved you, that's where I'm going to send you. And I, by faith... Packed my car and went back all the way. We lived in Milan for a while, and I registered at Southern Seminary, took my classes at Union, and then through a series of, of, of happenings, I ended up pastoring in Martin, Tennessee. But I remember clearly what the Lord said for me to do. Gave me instruction. I want you to go back to the place of your salvation. Go back to your Bethel, and then from your Bethel, I'm going to send you. Clear instructions, he speaks to us. Listen to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 
3 and verses 16 and 17. The Bible says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God, the woman of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. But notice what he said. All the Scripture is profitable for instruction, for teaching. So I'm reading the Word of God, and God began to speak to me. And he says, Father, I'm going to give you a verse. It will be your life's verse. You've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, you should no longer live. But the life that you now are going to live, you'll live by faith in me, your Savior, and for my glory. It's clear instruction. Here's what I want you to do for the rest of your life. Clear instruction, right? So when we come to the house of God, we come not to just exhibit things, show off things. We don't prepare things for you to come to a show. We prepare things for all of us to come into an encounter with the presence of God. Number two, we come to the house of the Lord to hear Him speak and to speak back to the Father. Number three, number three, we not only come to experience the presence of God, Hear the voice of God, but we gather together as the family of God to admonish and build one another. To admonish and build one another. I'm going back to Colossians chapter 3. To Colossians chapter 3. To admonish and build one another. Our main text said in, uh, in verse 15 and 16. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called, to which you were also called, rule. Let the peace of Christ We're called in one body, rule in your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, watch the language, and admonishing one another through psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. See, what happened? We come to gather together to admonish one another and build the body of Christ together. To build the body of Christ together. How do we do that? How do we admonish one another? We've already learned we come to experience His presence. We've already learned we've come to hear His voice. He gives me direction. He gives me correction. He gives me instruction. He gives me inspiration. And now I need to share that with everyone else. So we admonish one another. How do we do it? Go with me to Acts chapter 2. And let's look at that. And I want to I close with this last segment. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 and following. We learn to admonish one another, right? How do we do it? In, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the Bible says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all. As any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to the meeting together in the temple. And they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful, sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their numbers those who were being saved. How do we admonish one another? Let me give you four quick things. Number one. We admonish one another by learning and living by the word of God. Learning and living by the word of God. Verse 42, the Bible says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Now, what is he making reference to? He's making reference to the Old Testament doctrines that were given to the body of Christ then 
for the future body of Christ also at that time. So it's the Old Testament doctrine given for New Testament believers. And now you and I have the whole Bible. So we have the Old Testament doctrine. We have the New Testament doctrine. We have the whole Bible available for us. We learn and we live and we teach one another from the word of the living God. That's why, my dear friend, that's why you and I ought to be in life groups. Life groups is where we rub shoulder with one another. We receive revelations from the word of God. We share those revelations. We instruct, direct, and correct, and inspire one another. We grow together to learn the doctrines of the word of God. The doctrines of the word of God. This speaks of the centrality of the Bible. This speaks of the prime position of the Word of God in the life of every believer and ought to be in the life of every community. We're talking about the perfect Word of God. I'm not talking about the old antiquated Word of God as some people describe it. But listen, my friend, this Word is fresh. It's living today. Are y'all all right? It is the truth of the Word of God. It's the inspired, infallible, inerrant, relevant Word of God. It's relevant. It's for today as it was 3,000 years ago. It's for the next 5,000 as it is for today. It is the relevant living Word of God. We don't compromise it. We don't water it down. We don't just give it away as if it means nothing. This is the Word of the living God. We're changed by it. We're changed by it. Friend, someone said, if the church goes silent about the Word of God, millions will die and go into darkness. And we need to be diligent about teaching the word of the living God. You see, the Bible says his word gives entrance to his light. Right? The Bible says in the book of Jeremiah also. Jeremiah tells us in Jeremiah chapter 15. The word of God is food for our soul. Jeremiah 23, 29 says, It is fire that refines us, and it's like a hammer that breaks through the hardest places of our hearts. 1 Peter 2, 2 said, It is the milk that nourishes the newborn baby. The Bible says in Isaiah 48, The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Amen? Amen. So we literally admonish one another by learning and living by the word of God. Secondly, we admonish one another by continuing in the fellowship with one another. We continue in fellowship. That's what they did in the book of Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. They continued in koinonia together. Now that word koinonia really doesn't have an equal in English, but 12 out of 20 times it means coming together. It means fellowship. It means just being in each other's presence. It speaks of relationship. Also in the book of Romans 15 and verse 26, it speaks of contribution. We contribute into each other's lives. That's what koinonia is. It speaks of closeness, togetherness, caring for one another. That's koinonia. That's koinonia. We fellowship with one another. We admonish one another by continuing and living by the word of God. Number two, by fellowshipping with one another. That's why we need life groups. We pray also with one another. Prayer is not just seeking the hands of God. Prayer is seeking the heart of God. Prayer is conforming my life to the will of God. That's prayer. Number three, we admonish one another by continuing to break bread together. 
Did you notice? They sold their possessions. They provided for a body that is just growing and maturing. They had needs. They met those needs. And they broke bread. It means there was resources being given so the body of Christ can grow together spiritually, emotionally, physically, intellectually, in every way possible. They supported each other. They supported each other's ministry. That's the word, that's the word fellowship. It is, that's the word koinonia, and that's the word investment. They broke bread. We'll look at that in just a moment. We're about to break bread. And then lastly, they also encouraged one another to invest and serve together. We admonish one another by, by investing and serving together. You know, Chris has already challenged us with Matthew 6, 21, where your treasures are, that's where your heart will be. People have reversed that scripture. I've heard it said from people where they say, you know where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. You see, if you want your heart to be with God, then invest in God's work. If you want your heart to be in the one gathering, in the ministry and the service of our bride, then you invest in that bride. If you want your heart to see people coming to Jesus, <laughs> then you invest in that. You see, what we do, we share common interest, we share common goal, we share common vision, we share common mission. What is our mission? Is to lift up Christ that he may draw people to himself. Come join us. Come join us. Join the master. Come join us, join the ministry. Come join us, join the family. Come join us, join the mission. We gather together to experience the presence of God. We gather together to hear the voice of God. And then we gather together, literally, to admonish and build one another by learning and teaching the word, by investing in ministry and in one another, by fellowshipping with one another, strengthening one another, and the Spirit of God will be among us, but also by breaking bread together. We're going to do that in just a moment. Listen, our deacons are getting ready, but here's what I want to say to you. I knew that the Spirit of God is calling me to salvation. And I said, yes. What about you? You say, Fadi, I'm not sure that I'm a child of God. I'm going to tell you something, friend. What you're not sure about, Jesus is sure about. He came because He loves you. He wants to change your life, transform your life. He came to save us from what we couldn't save ourselves from. He came to forgive us from the sins that have caused him to come incarnate and die on the cross for, his, for, for my sins and yours. This morning, if you want to receive him as Lord of your life, simply you can say, Jesus, I'm asking you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to cleanse me from my sinful nature. Save me. Change me. Be my Lord and be my God. If that's the decision you want to make, I will be standing out there with our staff. would love to talk to you about that. would love to talk to you about that. But that's what this table is all about. His blood was shed for us. His body was broken for us. Friend, let's celebrate not only what he did, what he's doing, and what we one day will experience with him in heaven, that table that unites us with our God. Amen? Would you quiet your heart before the Lord?